Alright, welcome everybody. You are listening to Do We Like Murder, a segment of the Long Overdue Podcast, a production of the Decatur Public Library. We have Dawn and Denise with us today, but we also have two very special guests. We have Jared and Brett Lacer. Say hello. 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 <laughs> hello. hello. So we know you're uh, Brett and and his son, uh, Jared, and they are going to be discussing the BTK killer Yeah. with Dawn and Denise today. Yes. And Dawn and Denise have both read a book regarding the subject, and we have folks here with, what, first-hand experience? Well, I, I wouldn't say first-hand, but... <laughs> But we we were in town with him, yeah. With BTK, he okay. he was my Cub Scout leader along with my dad as the Cub Scout leaders of my my I guess pack, and uh, so we went on campouts and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, so we've been following the story. Awesome. So it's going to get real today, y'all. Enjoy it. <laughs> I was like, I'm ready to talk. <laughs> So we're really glad you're here today. Yes. This is like super exciting because Denise and I like to talk about murder. We do. Um, we made a whole podcast about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so to have somebody with connections to one is like so fascinating. I did not hear about the BTK killer until Pat was saying something and you had mentioned it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Pat came up to us and she was like, you know. And I don't even remember how she was, like, she was getting the letters mixed up. She was like, B-K-T. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? And she started like, the B-T-K killer? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> and of course, Denise knew all about it. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh-huh. <laughs> well, it is interesting who knows about it and who doesn't know. You, yeah. You, you bring it up and someone will go, you got to be kidding me. You, you knew that guy? And then uh-huh. there's other times people are like, what are you talking about? And, yeah. and I had to explain it today to somebody. I said something. Oh. They go, what are you talking about? I, I've never heard. Was that here in town? And I was like, no, it wasn't here in town. No. It was a long time ago. Yeah. The only cool. connection he has to Texas is that he did basic training in the Air Force in Wichita Falls. Oh. And so hmm. that's pretty much the only connection that he has to Texas. Right. So I read a book called uh, A Serial Killer's Daughter, My Story of Faith, Love, and Overcoming by Carrie Rawson. So she was his daughter. And so I read her perspective. And then, Denise, you read? I read Catherine Ramsland, Ph.D., Confessions of a Serial Killer, The Untold Story of Dennis Rader, the BTK Killer. So you're... Um, perspective was a lot from his point of view yes she basically started corresponding with him and so a lot of this is like his correspondence and she'll occasionally throw in some things some psychology and clear up a couple of things but it's mainly him and i am fascinated about your point of view because you lived there and so BTK stands for bondage, torture, kill. Bind, torture, kill. Bind, torture, right. kill. Right. Okay. Um, I, I guess were the, like there. I mean, well, what but, was interesting? The day that he killed the, his first family, the Ortero family, mm-hmm. was the day Jared was born. Oh my! The goodness. very same day. So why he was in the hospital, 
after birth. He was born about you know noon on the, the 15th of January, mm-hmm. and they were killed that afternoon. Uh, we were in the hospital while that was all going on. So it, there's, there's that connection there. You know, you just yeah. you just know that it's it's part of the Wichita uh, <laughs> folklore. I guess is the best way to put it. That yeah. that somebody that vicious and cruel was right there in the town you'd think a little sleepy town like wichita wouldn't have something Mm -hmm. like that but he was there and what was fascinating to me after i started reading more about this is that he killed his neighbors they were just a couple houses down one time just one time one time the the older lady um he she lived down around the block we lived the other direction around the block from him Uh, we lived about four blocks for where he lived, oh my gosh. and this oh lady my lived gosh. down the other direction, all in the same little neighborhood. These houses were were tract homes. They were built after uh, the Korean War, so they were older homes. They were all about seven or eight hundred square foot homes to begin with. So they weren't real big homes. Not as big as this room. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <It felt like laughs> it. Okay, pretty, pretty small room. The houses, but they were all um, about you know every other house was about the same house. So they were all right there together. Uh, looked alike. Mm-hmm. Well, and I read that that one of them of the people that he stalked um, when he broke into her house, it was the same layout as his mm-hmm. house. Right. Yeah, that was uh, so. Marine Hedge. Right, she that lived down the, on Independence Street, yeah. and and he lived on Jacksonville, I believe it was. Yeah, so all, was the, the, all the streets layout. were ABCD, mm-hmm. so you could know where the street was by their letter. Okay. So. Wow. I would have never known it. I mean, I. That was a time when I rode a I rode my bicycle all over town. I mean, that was just a different time to where mm-hmm. I mean, we got up every morning in the summertime, and I mean, it was shorts and no shirt, ride around, play, go swimming in the creeks, fishing, and mm-hmm. and uh, playing and you didn't tag come home until dinner. Yeah, right. yeah. You know, we played tag mm-hmm. at night, and you know, rode our bicycles around at night when it was hot. And I mean, you, I would have never known, even whenever everybody was. You know, alerted to it, and and a heightened sense of you know fear. I guess mm-hmm. I would have never. I never knew it. I, I walked to school every day. No big deal. So, what did you and your wife feel like during this that that was going on? Were you cautious or? Well, I, you know, it was one of the things that you were cautious when you went out because he didn't he didn't attack um, at when you're out in the general public. Okay, his his whole. St- Stories you probably read in there. He liked to stalk. Mm-hmm. He liked he liked the adventure of of going after somebody, watching for him, planning the planning the the event itself. Mm-hmm. So to be at home or be out among the population, going to the store and think that wasn't what you were worried about. It's when you were home alone. But um, but did you lock your doors well, differently? We and, that, and that was just it. We you know during the day our these houses were not air conditioned. Okay. Uh, because they were older, unless you had a window unit. But during the springtime, it was doors open, screen doors. You didn't have to. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to, you know, worry about anything. So, to say we were worried about it, no, nah, not really. Uh, but it would all happen in see Park City, where Dennis Rader lived, mm-hmm. was outside of the city of Wichita. So it was north of Wichita, about. I don't know, five, six miles north of Wichita. Okay. So you did not live in, and all most of these took place in Wichita. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So people that lived outside was a little bit less of a, less worried about it. 
except for that one neighbor mm-hmm. that he found him. That was later on in his yes. his career, I guess is the best way to put it. But so that one happened like in 84 or 85. 85, April yeah. 27, 1985. Right. Okay. But Park City was, you know, it, I mean, maybe it's five, six, ten miles away from Wichita, but for a kid that lived in that town, Wichita was a long ways away. Oh. And they even still, like when I was a kid, they still bust kids from the inner city. Uh-huh. You know, African-American students, African-American students came to our little town and and our Caucasian students were bust into the inner city. Oh. So that's I mean it was so we're so distant from Wichita. I could see uh-huh. how people in Park City weren't worried because mm-hmm. that's different. Now I live 12 miles out of town and I think that's close enough. Yeah. You know, back then <laughs> it's, it's it's different. It was different exactly. back then. Well, and I can relate a lot to that. I grew up in Montana mm-hmm. and we never locked our doors. Yeah. Day or night. Um I mean there were a few times that, you know, if we were going to be gone for the whole weekend, we would lock up. Um, doors open, no AC, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I can definitely relate to that. And then spending all day outside and, you know. Just playing, being a yes, kid. Yes, yes, exactly. Never worried about it. I do remember uh, kids, uh, you know, talking about stranger dangers and that kind of stuff. But I think uh-huh. that's just what they teach us in school. I mean, we still do that now. Yeah. You know, to be, yeah. be cautious and. Uh, police officers would come and talk, but I was never worried. Yeah. I think there was only one time as a child I was worried because somebody came and started talking to my friend and uh, I'm like, I'm not getting in that car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can go with him home, but I'm not going. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think she ended up going home with him, but I never did. So. But it, it worked out okay. Yeah, good. Good. I was waiting for a week to get here. Yeah. Just like that. <laughs> but, but Dennis, he was just like any any other guy. If he would have walked up, if my wife would have been home alone, mm-hmm. and he would have walked up and knocked on the door, she would have let him in because we knew him. I mean, it mm-hmm. was he regular guy. He wasn't always nicely dressed. It was you know he didn't come across as a a threat to anyone uh, as you met him face to face and as Jared said you know we we entrusted our boys with him he mm-hmm. he, he was he was in the scout leader and uh, even after Jared got out of cub scouts and I remained in the scouting world as a as a trainer and a leader mm-hmm. we'd take boys out camping um, and we took them down to my father-in-law's property uh, east of Wichita, about 70 miles east of Wichita. He had a big cattle ranch and a, a farm, and we'd take him down there, and we'd go camping. So we had these group of boys, you know, mm-hmm. 9, 10, 11-year-old boys out here in the in the woods mm-hmm. to, and teaching them the, the ways to camp and, and uh, you know, Tie survive. Tie knots. <laughs> Tie knots. <laughs> <laughs> <Tie> <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, well, from Carrie's standpoint, it, it's interesting because kind of what I got from her is that I, I wonder if she had a sense that he wasn't such a good person because she would have nightmares and she called them night terrors and um, and she felt like somebody was in her room like watching her and, and this came about a lot after she moved out. And one of the things that she remembered being fearful of is somebody breaking the sliding glass door in her apartment when she was living by herself. Um, Because she had heard that somebody had, in her hometown, Mm -hmm. had um, they'd thrown a cinder block through the sliding glass door 
and she was murdered. And that was Mrs. the Hedge, the one in 85. The one that lived there in Park it, City? Yes, the, the neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I'm not as good with names. <laughs> um, and so she she was fearful of some of these things. And even her mom, you know, when some of these things happened, like the, the Boy Scout camp out uh, where he came back, um, which I think that's the same one, they were... Um, they were fearful, and they would talk to him about that, but he'd say, oh, don't worry, you're okay. You know, and he was able to reassure them because he knew they were yes, okay. Yes! He is... was very com- confident in being there, they were going to be okay because yes. Oh, that makes me crazy. I, I heard that on the, and you know, I watched the, the TV program, but is do, you know. do you remember when that was, uh, as far as the date? Because it seems like we, the Boy Scouts had a 75th big jamboree in Wichita. Okay. So that would have made it close enough for Dennis to get back. And we spent the weekend with the boys down at this big 75-year diamond jubilee Mm -hmm. uh, in Wichita in the park there. And, you know, I I don't remember... him getting up in the he, middle of the he, night and but leaving. He, but he could have. I mean, it, any one of these campouts, it, it would have been, but that would have been close enough uh, because we, part, we we camped in places that, like sometimes we'd go as far as 60 miles away to camp, but there was Santa Fe Lake that was, Santa Fe Lake was what, an hour from, yeah, maybe. from Wichita that we could have, he could have gotten up easily. So when you're out on these campouts, it would have been easy for him to get up and leave because we all took our trucks with gear loaded in it. And mm-hmm. So in January 19th of 1991, Dolores Davis, who was 62 okay. years old. We were gone then. We were no longer in Wichita okay. at that point. Okay. There was a whole section here about him leaving a scout troop okay well we were we were living in houston at that point so that wasn't it i I wasn't involved in that (laughs) and then the one with marine that was april i think well you know he 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 went through a period where he did his his stalking and his killing and then he stopped for a while Mm mm-hmm and then he started back up again. And uh, I'd be interested to know in, in your book, Denise's, what's the psychology behind that? Was he just like reliving it? Was he just for um, for the, the whole period of not doing anything? He was busy. He was busy? Yep, he was busy. Catching having dogs? A, and having a family, work. Yeah, it kept him busy. Basically, the things that he talks about is like when he was laid off. And Paula, his wife, was the main breadwinner. He was bored. He felt bad because he didn't have a job. And so then he started having his weird fantasies. And then because he had nothing to do. And and that triggered everything. Yeah, he started doing that. And then he got a family and started being a dad and Boy Scouts and all that. But... As long as he had a job and was going to school and was keeping busy, he could have his fantasies and not act on anything because he didn't have time to prowl. He didn't have time to stalk. Um, and But when he was laid off, mm-hmm. he Some had all the fish. time in the world. Yeah. yeah. And could pick up other hobbies. Yeah. Yes. No, not him. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
it, it talks here about the, um, it says my April 27th, 1985 is when he um, killed Mrs. Hedge. And he said, my dad was a Boy Scout leader for years and she attended the church in Park City where the the pack met. So mm-hmm. that was your pack? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a, it was a Baptist church uh-huh. that was just there on the main street. And that's where we met was in in that church. Now we didn't go to we didn't attend that church, but that's where the scout meetings were held. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the center of town, really. Right. I mean okay. it was like where the cross streets and so I think that's where people went when tornadoes came and everybody oh. had you know, just I mean it was like the church <laughs> yeah. right there in town. Okay. Um it says here that she told the FBI agent in February that her father wasn't home the night that uh, Miss Hedge had gone missing. He was on a Cub Scout camp out with her nine-year-old brother. That was the night we had a thunderstorm, and I curled up with Mom in her bed. Um, and her brother's a year younger than Jared, I believe. A year younger. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So they originally did not connect that one to Dennis. They actually thought that it was a male friend of Marine's. Because she had come home with him, and they were hanging out for about an hour while Dennis was there, like just kind of waiting. And then he, the friend left, and that's when he attacked her and killed her. The only thing that would have connected him is that he cut the phone line. Like he did, he did a lot of different things with each killing, so it was kind of hard for the police to be like, "Oh, this mo matches oh, this." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so often it was. What he thought was his signatures were a cut phone line and obviously the strangulation. But um, they didn't connect it to him originally. They thought that it was her friend Hmm. that had been with her. And I think when the the FBI um, got everybody, when they went to catch him and um, arrest him, they had all of the family had an FBI agent with all of them. So oh, the wow. the son was in the Navy. They mm-hmm. had somebody there. The daughter was in uh, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And um, somebody went there. And so when um, that guy was there, she started talking to him. And she said, oh, is this about Mrs. Hedge? And he looked at her like he had no idea and started writing. And so she was the one, I think, that might have helped connect that mm-hmm. together. Well, I'm, what happened I'm to really the guy so- that they thought it was? What happened to the friend? They never the had any enough evidence to arrest him. Poor guy. But everybody thought yeah. that he did it um, in the neighborhood. Everybody gossiped about him that he did it. And I, I don't know Carrie at all. I mean, she was at the PAC meeting, so I remember when, you know, Mom Paula was there with the little girl. Of course, family always comes to these PAC meetings. Yes. So she was a little girl because she was younger than... She was younger of the two siblings. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm having a hard time having her... I mean, I know how kids are. Remembering that vivid of what happened and knowing about Mrs. Hedge when she was probably seven years old. I'm having a hard time with her memory on okay. this. Okay. Yeah. Well, well and I would remember at seven if someone was murdered down the street from me. I think I, I would, too. I think I would. I mean, now, maybe the, the exact, like, oh, it was raining that night, but... Yeah, like the exact details kind of might be a little fuzzy. Yeah. But we talked a little bit about um, not being sure of some of the things that she said in her book. Mm-hmm. Because in, in mine, in 2015, she did an interview with the Wichita Eagle. And she talked about, you know, how awful it was that her father was a serial killer. 
but ultimately she thought that he was a good guy he was a good father never abusive but in don's book she said that there had been some abuse well and so i'm just like so which is it (laughs) right i think i think when the they got older brian had crossed his dad about something and his dad grabbed him by the throat Mm -hmm. that's what she had read and but that was you know they were older and i think he'd passed his killing phase Mm -hmm. uh at that point and he was going probably getting ready to enter into his last and final action Mm -hmm. where he starts sending the notes back to the wichita yeah the packages and and the package yeah that that's pretty weird i mean just for him to go from being so weird and the dressing up and the oh yeah bondage and all of that to then like almost having fun with the cops and, well, and the police department and just like mm-hmm. individuals you yeah know? i mean just really singling he um one of the things that he mentions is that at first he kind of wanted to be you know uncaught a big mystery like who was the btk mm-hmm. killer and like jack the ripper like no one knows who that was and he kind of wanted that but as with the otero family they had uh the police had interviewed three different men who claimed they knew something about it and he was like oh no no you're not getting my credit right so then he started to you know just a little here and there and then he stopped for a bit but as he was getting older he knew that he wasn't going to be able to go out and do what he you know what he had done um so he wanted to basically leave his legacy he wanted people to know who he was and i believe also at that time one of the investigators or somebody involved in the investigation Mm -hmm. was writing a book it wasn't this book but he was writing a separate book that dennis felt being slighted that he wasn't getting the credit oh yeah and and he wanted to and that's what prompted him to get back in touch with the police through wichita eagle um it was a journalist it was one of the journalists was a journalist okay Mm -hmm. and and dennis one of one of the limelight back on him and he just stepped a little bit too far Mm -hmm. on that one but the, the the steps that they took to try to catch him, you can't you can't fault them for everything they were doing. Uh, the police department, well, you know, they're doing the subliminal 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 subliminal. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that one out. The, uh, uh, messages on the TV screens. I saw that on TV one time. They were talking about how they oh. they were like putting up "Turn yourself in" or something like that. Really? Yeah. And I, I saw that on one of the TV programs when they were doing like a biography or something but uh-huh. uh they, they worked really hard like the police department they were working hard at that well they, they mm-hmm. I, I remember that they they did a lot of these messages that he would send in they they could trace where some of it was written at one point they found out that he used a copier at wichita state to send a message in so they thought well this is a student or somebody at wichita state so they started looking at all the male students and male teachers at Wichita State to basically see if anybody fit the fit the bill. Yeah. So all male students that went to school at that time were on that list at some point. Wow. So it, it's kind of interesting how far they went trying to find this guy. It was just 
you know, it was a big deal in Wichita to have this. It, sure, the murders happen in, in a lot of cities, but it's usually one of these things what's, you know, domestic violence, it's uh, robbery, it's drugs, whatever it happens to be. But this one mm-hmm. was uh, spectacular. It was more yeah, over the edge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Wichita kind of went back to the old Wild West days with this stuff. <laughs> so thing. when you said, uh, you showed us some pictures before we started, Brett, and you said that you both went to college together. We were, at, we were at Butler County Community College in El Dorado, Kansas at the same time, and then we were at Wichita State at the same time. Okay, so did you feel like that Wichita State, like with them coming in and trying to, you said that you were on a list, basically. Did you sense that or know that? No, or? I mean, it was in the news that they, they suspect, you know, they, they knew that one of these came from, mm-hmm. they made a comment that it came from uh, Wichita State copier, that they were they were looking at, you know, mm-hmm. opportunities that, that, you know, that might be there. But as an individual, no, it, it never crossed my mind, oh, they're looking at me type of thing. Yeah. Did you ever wonder, like, do I know who that is? Never, I don't re- remember it. Yeah, like, my mind. I was just... too busy going to school. So, yeah. yeah. So like somebody used the copier. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I worked all day and I went to school at night, so I didn't have time for that type of thing. Which is really fascinating if you think about it, that they could trace it to a copier. Yeah. Back then. <laughs> it's scary I mean, about the technology now. Yeah. yeah. You know, just thinking, you know, with Snapchat, you know, all that disappears and, and all that. Nothing but disappears. does it really? No. Yeah. <laughs> At one point in time, Nothing is there going to be something no. that yeah. pulls it all up? So, um, the Wichita Eagle reporter was Hearst Leviana. Um, in January 2004, he published a 30-year retrospective of the Otero slaughter and the other unsolved murders that were associated with the BTK killer at the time. And the local author, Robert Beatty, was writing a book about them. And in what year was that? 2004. Oh, okay. And so then that's, mm-hmm. And so that's when he started to send more packages and so on. Um, early on, when he started leaving things behind, he had actually contacted a reporter... In the uh, mid-70s, I want to say. And he left a, a note in a book at his local library. Ooh. <laughs> he was going to be going through all the books later. He was <laughs> actually an avid library user. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so those things that he's all like, oh, I was at the library. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> all right, then. But, yeah, he... He called Don Granger and instructed him to go to the public library and find a book called Applied Engineering Mechanics. And in that book, he had he had left a letter. The d- letter detailed the Otero murders. He wanted credit and fame and attention. That was when the police were talking to three different guys that said that they knew something about it, and he wasn't having it. He didn't want anybody else to, to take credit for it. Um... In his letter, he mentioned that he couldn't ask for help or find a cure because if he went to anybody for help and told them what he had done, they would call the police. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the police placed an ad in the Wichita Eagle personals that said, help is available with a phone number. And he was really oh, proud of himself because someone had taken him seriously, but he did not call the number. 
at this time, though, he started working for ADT installing security systems. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Because people were afraid of the BTK killer. <laughs> That's that is, crazy. Yes. We've had, wasn't it the um, Hillside Strangler, too, that was... Um, mm-hmm. That also worked for ADT? <laughs> yes. ADT, I hope that you're making better decisions and background <laughs> checks on Those here. background checks are better. <laughs> what made him put it in that book? Or, or you know, that just... That guy is yeah, it's, so he was just, out there. He just, picked a book. Maybe it was something that hadn't been checked out in a long time. <laughs> you know? Catch on the ride. No, I can't put yeah, it in Yeah, no, that. no. That way you can't go to the library and be like, hey, who checked this out last? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Wichita had another famous killer that took place about uh, about two years after this. Okay. There was a sniper that was on top of the Holiday Inn building that was targeting a 19-year-old kid that targeted people as they were driving down the main streets in Wichita, and there was a bank there, and he killed three people and wounded another eight. Oh, my goodness. It was in August of 1976. So Wichita was starting to get up in the big leagues here. At that yeah. Point, you know? So Dennis started in 74, and then this guy had this uh, sniper where he was sitting uh, on top of the wasn't on top. It was one of the upper rooms in the in the Holiday Inn mm-hmm. there on the main street of Wichita, and, and uh, it was right next to the well, right two two buildings down from the building that I worked in. Oh so, wow! So that's scary. You know, Wichita <laughs> still has like so a, that's now that's a you know back then Park City was so small and it was easy going. I never yeah. knew anything was wrong, but now like Wichita has a pretty high crime rate. Really? And if you look them up, yeah, there's just like I knew some kids that transferred from there to like school down here and it's like, man, you look at that, we have a, a cousin that's a police officer there and I didn't realize mm-hmm. how many like gang violence and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff is there. It's interesting that you think a that's town like Wichita. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you grew up in was that way. So, what made you think the 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 daughter decided to come out with her book? Whenever you know she had one idea before, and now this. Well, I think she had a lot. Of, yes, <laughs> um, of trauma. Yeah, from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really think about it, finding out that your dad was. Sorry, yeah. Don't don't give him funny looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I keep my eye on him. You're right. <laughs> H- had done something like that, and then you know, I think she already had um, issues because of you know her sleep issues or trauma and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and so it just kind of um, kind of came to a head when this this happened, and she was working through that, and I think she finally kind of came to a point where she'd worked through everything and she felt like she could share it. Mm-hmm. She really talked a lot in here about how she had a really hard time. She hated her dad for doing that. And then she, trying to think back and, and I don't know if she really un, uh, remembered all of those instances or maybe was told about them later. Yeah. Uh, but it made her think, what was I doing at that time? And how how is my life tainted? Because mm-hmm. he was out there killing somebody when I was doing this, or uh, you know those kinds of things. You know, I was I was in bed with my mom because of a thunderstorm when he was off killing somebody, or the jewelry. <sighs> I think that he 
took jewelry from some of these mm-hmm. families and, did. and gave it to his wife and his daughter. Wow. wow. And she, he's like, you know, she's coming to terms with the fact that this is a dead person's, you know. And then she has children herself and makes the connection with, okay, I'm this many months pregnant and my dad at this point was out killing somebody. When she turned, about to turn 29, this was mm-hmm. the age my dad was. Um, you know, and what was really so interesting? Maybe she just came to peace with everything and was I like, so. okay, here it all is. I'm, I'm just going to lay it all out on the table in this book. And maybe that was her her closure. Yeah, because she didn't want to give um, a lot of her information out because people were psycho reporters and everybody mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. descending on them. And so they were trying to stay out of that light also. Um and so I think she kind of came to a point where she was at peace with putting it out there mm-hmm. that this is my dad um, and coming to terms with that truth. Wow. But, um, I, I knew that she had written this book, and I knew there had been other books. I didn't know that Dennis had corresponded with somebody mm-hmm. and actually told his story. Yeah. Uh, that, that would be – I guess I'd give more – weight to that book uh-huh. than I would some of the others. Yeah. Well, in, in his book, he mentions that he did take jewelry and he thought about giving some of it to his wife. And at one point he was like, oh, maybe to my daughter, but that he never actually did. Right. I knew they and found so, trophies and, after, yeah, after they and, found out who it was. They found trophies. And there's a little like here or there because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that this was really hard to read. Not for the content. I read this kind of stuff all the time. (laughs) But because he is so bad with the English language, it's hard. It's hard to read. I'm just like, what? (laughs) Then I have to read it like the same part over again. It's like, what are you trying to say? (laughs) He thinks he's smarter than he really is. Oh my gosh. He actually mentions that at some point that he thinks he's really smart. And I'm like, but you write at a third grade level. Yeah. See, I, I guess I'm surprised about that book because, of course, I'm, my memory's probably not as good as it should be either. But I thought when they put Dennis in the El Dorado Correctional Facility, which we drive by two or three times a year <laughs> because we go home uh, back up there. But uh, when they put him in that correctional facility, I, I remember reading something that he was not allowed to have newspapers are related to this incident or have correspondence related to this all his incidents so maybe they changed maybe they lifted the restrictions but i I thought i remember that because they didn't want him to get any more pleasure from right satisfaction and and being in the media was one of his big things um i think Catherine ramsland got special permission okay um she never saw him physically face to face if she went to go visit him it was always like her in a room with a tv screen okay like never got to to actually meet him meet him um he would correspond with her and send her letters and so forth she had to get special permission for everything that she sent to him like books or anything like that she had to get special permission she basically said that they really only let her send one book that she was kind of hoping which had a little light on some of his psychology. How much do you think he's he's held on to? 
you know, like, you know, you, I don't want to give it all away, just like a little piece. That's what I'm not like. <laughs> is there still like this one piece one day where you're going to get a, like a, He's I've got to tell you one out, thing. Yeah. I just got to tell you this one last thing, just so he can stay in it. That's well, he did say that when he was arrested and he talked to the police and they told him that they had DNA. They had him for at least two of the murders. And so, and they suspected him for this other, other things um, that when he realized that he was caught, he just confessed. Um, and he made a little map of where he had what he calls hidey holes, mm-hmm. where he would hide newspaper clippings and stuff that he had taken from victims mm-hmm. and his awful poetry. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and so he made like a little, little map um, and the police went and retrieved all this stuff, but he didn't tell them about all his hidey holes, and they didn't find some of those hidey holes. They didn't find, like, the trick wall in the shed or anything like that, so there might still be stuff out there. So the they, confession, they, I saw that. It's all tore down. <laughs> yeah, the house well, he, yes, down. they did demolish it. He, they, did, mm-hmm. he did bury stuff, too, like... I'm telling you, just he, you Maybe. know he has to hold on to something <laughs> somewhere just to relive it or think I still got him, and you know where I want him, and mm-hmm. I can tell one more thing, and just that's I don't know his confession. I saw that on the news, like when it was coming out, they were mm-hmm. playing that. I couldn't believe like the longest, it was like an OJ trial or something. It's like he just kept talking. And oh talking yeah, and when because he didn't have a trial, he pleaded guilty. Yeah, and so then he had a. Say what he did. In detail. Yes. Well, it says, instead, he selfishly rambled on for 20 minutes in a speech nicknamed the Golden Globes in Wichita. Yeah. Because it was just, he he didn't show any remorse or anything. Mm -mm. And he tried to correlate a lot of the things to himself. Like, this family had a child this age. I have a child this age. And... Like, still, like, this is about me. Like, you guys got to pay attention to me and how this affects me. And it's just one of the most bizarre things. <laughs> You're just watching him and he's like, okay. So, you know how they say that women marry people like their dad? So, in here. So, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Women would marry married someone that reminds them of their dad yeah i mean and i don't think it's conscious or or anything but that would be weird um carrie had mentioned that um she was worried when she turned 29 that or people were asking her well do you ever think you're going to become a serial killer or whatever (laughs) and i mean right that's silly but i think i would have been more concerned about did i marry one Did I accidentally yeah. marry a serial right. killer? I don't think she did, based on what I've read here. But I think it'd be really hard for him to get away with anything now. <laughs> right? Yeah, she's on top of it. Yeah, <laughs> she's lived it. Yeah. How does he compare to the other serial killers you've read books about, or or other killers that he? Um, he's right up there. I I did not get a lot of details in my book. And I think that was a lot because she didn't expose herself to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there were books that she, I mean, she listened to certain things that came out in trial, um, but she didn't, she would just say, "I this happened and dad killed so-and-so mm-hmm. at this time. And so I think Denise was probably exposed to more of that. Um, but to me, it's just very bizarre that he not only killed like women, he didn't, 
like the Hillside Stranglers, they were rapists and, and they murdered those mm-hmm. women. But he killed families. He killed kids. He, he, yeah. The first time he killed the kids, he did break into a couple of homes where kids were there. He didn't expect them to be there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he didn't kill them children on the other ones. Yes. He did hurt them. There was one mm-hmm. of the children, uh, boys, I think, that was shot. Um, um, okay. With Catherine Bright, she was 21, and she was stabbed um, in her home, April 4th, 1974. Um, they didn't connect this to the BTK killer because he had stabbed her, and he basically stabbed her because her brother, Kevin, was there. Right. And so they fought, and he ended up shooting Kevin That's like, who it was. two or three times, hit him in the head. He thought he killed him, and so he was going to go and strangle Catherine. Um, and then he hears Kevin book it out of the house. And so he was like, well, don't have time to do what I wanted to do. So he stabbed Catherine. Um, she actually died in surgery. Um, but they didn't attribute that to him until later. Mm-hmm. And in his correspondence, like he left her out because Kevin could identify him. Um, in March 17th of 1977, Shirley Vion, she was 24, she had two sons and a daughter. Mm-hmm. And she was actually homesick that day. Um, and Raider, he wasn't really, like, he hadn't been stalking her or anything like that. What he actually did was he picked an area and he would watch several different people. And so he would stalk several different people and then mm. just be like, today you just did something that left a window open for me. And so he had several different people that he was watching at any given time. But Shirley wasn't one of them. Um, he had actually gone to the grocery store and bought some bread and stuff and had it in a bag. So he was carrying it around looking like he was, you know, just came home from the store. And so people weren't like, who's that guy? Yeah, suspicious <laughs> of that. Yeah. And, um, Shirley's son had just left the store. And so he saw him going home and he's all like, he's probably got a mom at home. And so he went over there, went up to him, said that he was a private investigator and he was looking for, and he had a picture of his wife and baby. It's like, I'm looking for these people. Have you seen them? And the little boy was like, nope. And he was like, okay. And so he goes home and Raider follows him, knocks on the door. Um, the two boys answer and he just pushes his way in. And Shirley actually... Um, convinced him to put the, the kids into the into the bathroom right. with some books and some blankets you know she was like i'll do whatever you want just leave them in the bathroom and actually convinces him to push the bed like push a bed up against the door so they can't come out and he can't get in um he actually has a cigarette with her like she's so nervous and upset that he's like let's go have a smoke Gosh. you know all the time that i knew him I never saw him smoke. Really? He never smoked on campouts, mm-hmm. never smoked around the boys, never. Yeah, I think this never. was just to calm her down. Right. and. So that shows his compassionate side. Well, he, he claims that kind of often. With uh, Mr. Otero, he had a cracked rib from mm-hmm. a car accident. And so when he tied him up, he put a pillow under his head and some coats and stuff so he would be comfortable. Um, with Shirley... After they did all of that, um, because she was sick, she actually vomited. Mm. And so he got her a glass of water and he comforted her for a little bit because, you know, she wasn't well. Um, and then he and then strangled he her. her. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, 
he doesn't really say if he had any plans for the kids. The phone rang. And while he had been comforting Shirley and all of that after she threw up, she mentioned that a neighbor was going to be checking up on them because she was sick and the kids were home. And so she was like, just to let you know, someone's going to be coming over. And so after he killed her, the phone rang and he was like, oh, that's right. A neighbor was going to come. And so he cleans up and he gets out of there. And so he didn't harm the boys. He didn't harm the two boys and she had a daughter. Um, but because she convinced him to put something up against the the door, like he would ha- need a time to get Move that everything. stuff out of there and then get in there. And he knew he didn't have any time. Right. So. Weird. Right. She saved them, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nancy Fox, in uh, December 8th of 1977, she was 25. She lived by herself and she worked at Hellsburg Jewelers. Mm-hmm. And... He broke into her home. She came in and she found him. Some of the things that he would tell them was weird. Like with the Otero family and with uh, Catherine, I think it was. He was like, I'm a fugitive wanted by the police. I just want some money, some food, and your car. And I'm out. And so they were like, okay, you know, if you're not going to hurt me, if you're just going to take my stuff and go because the police are after you, Mm -hmm. you know, they didn't freak out as much. Um, with Shirley and with Nancy, he told them that he had a sexual problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, all right. And now it's going to be your problem. Yeah. Like lack of? Or what, what, <laughs> well, was, with, what was the problem? With Nancy, problem? he told her that he had a sexual problem and wanted sex. That he was going to tie her up and take a picture of her tied up. She took off her parka and began to smoke. He sat on the couch. She sat in a chair and she was smoking. They talked for a little bit. He went through her purse and she said, well, let's get this over with so I can call the police. (laughs) Nancy, uh, a lady that worked for me for years, went shopping, Christmas shopping with Nancy Fox the weekend before she was killed. Oh, really? Oh, Oh, my goodness. See, it is closer than you realize. Yeah. We're all connected. Yeah. So, So that's what Dennis said that he... That's how he remembers that. And I mean, did, did he document all that, or that's just he's just telling the story? Um, I, I mean, I guess he, that's how he he def- he he kept journals. Yeah, like he did keep journals. Okay. Um, he did a lot of drawings. Um, well, and I um, found in here that um, Carrie came across a some of his notes mm-hmm. on the back of a business card. Um, and then also it was tucked in a book that she found when they were cleaning out the house before they were trying to sell it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she ended up turning that over to the FBI. But hmm. yeah, he's just leaving stuff all over. And Kept journals. And- yeah. mm-hmm. wow. So he actually had two different versions of how this went when he told when he did interviews and so forth. But when he to- what he told the police is that he didn't strangle her right away. Like, he strangled her till she passed out. And then when she regained consciousness, he whispered in her ear that he was BTK and that he was a bad guy. She tried to fight him. She grabbed his crotch and squeezed really hard, hoping to force him to loosen the mm-hmm. grip, but that actually just turned him on more. Oh, my gosh. And that's what Dennis said about everything. Wow. Yeah, that's what he told the police. What he told 
like media outlets and all that was that he strangled her and she died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he went but, into further detail. Yeah, he wrote a poem about Nancy as well. He wrote a couple of poems. And they were. Do you have that poem? Like oh that yeah, <laughs> I knew I knew that was. They coming. are <laughs> all in this book. <laughs> Some of my notes on his poetry, I'm like, all right. Let's see this one. So this book that I read has pictures in it, and there's one picture that I cannot unsee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> no, don't, don't. <laughs> yeah. So the poem that he wrote about Nancy was called. Oh, Death to Nancy, a botched version of the lyrics of the American folk song, Oh, Death. So it goes, okay, this is going to be a little hard to read because he spells terribly. What is this that I can see? Cold, icy hands taking hold of me, for death has come, you all can see. Hell has opened its gates to trick me. Oh, death, oh, death, can't you spare me over for another year? I'll stuff your jaws till you can't talk. I'll blind your legs till you can't walk. I'll tie your hands till you can make a stand. And finally, I'll close your eyes so you can't see. I'll bring sexual death unto you for me. And yes, it does say blind. Creepy. Wow. And I'm just like, okay. But yes, they do. He does include, she does include some of his poetry in here. And well, and he was sending... Terrible. He said he had fans before he was convicted and they would write to him and he was able to write back and he would write them poems and they, the family would be like, stop doing that because it could, not that it really could make anything worse for him, (laughs) right? but it could um, shine light on the family somehow Mm -hmm. and they didn't want that at all. So they talked a little bit about his poetry, Mm -hmm. but nothing like that. Yeah. Okay. So poetry from jail to his fans. Yes. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we've come across reading a lot of these books is that there are some crazy people out there that will write to murderers and be like marriage proposals and craziness like that. (laughs) It's very crazy. Okay. So before we go any farther, um, Dennis was sentenced to 175 years in prison. 10 consecutive life sentences, 23 hours a day alone in a concrete cell in a maximum security wing next to death row inmates. So 23 hours a day is just in a square, just in a little rectangle, I guess. One hour in the yard. Mm -hmm. So there was a really interesting thing here. Um, Pastor Clark of the church that he went to, um, apparently decided that oh, there was a Christ, Christ Lutheran was the church, or I guess was the real, the real church yet that he was at. Um, he was assisting author Stephen Singular on The Unholy Messenger, which was a book about Raider from Clark's perspective. Because uh, Raider had eventually become like, what was it, a deacon at his church? Something like that. He was mm-hmm. he had gotten pretty high up in his, right. in his church. Um and so, under the guise of going and still ministering to Raider, he was basically going there to get information so then he could help book. write this book. 
Wow. Yes. Yes. I was like, wow. <laughs> and then uh, Vader felt like he had been used and betrayed. And I'm like, uh, that's because you were. Not that I really feel sorry for you, but still, Pastor Clark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah, how'd you like that to be your pastor? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Tell me more, son. Yeah. <laughs> right. I really like to be on the bestseller list. So <laughs> when he got sentenced, the DA Folston had a detailed PowerPoint. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, that's how you use PowerPoint. <laughs> Just little stuff like that. I was like, okay. But yeah, I was like, yeah, if you're going to if you're going to use PowerPoint, you use it right. <laughs> well, when they finally caught Dennis, it was national news. Oh yeah, it. I remember seeing it in Houston. Come across as a breaking story mm-hmm. that they have caught the BTK killer, and that's when I, and they said the name, and I'm going, I know this guy. Yeah, and that's what took me back to the the, the pictures, the, the old college yearbooks, then found the pictures of him. So. Knew the name. I'd been gone long enough that, you know, just, we didn't keep in touch, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, knew the name, and it was just mm-hmm. kept, I got to find out who, I know him, I know him, I know him, and that's when it dawned on me who it was. Yeah. Able to put it all together. What year was that that he was? 2005, was 2005, it? Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think. I was, um, I had my son in 2004, so I was stay-at-home mom at that time. I don't remember it. But I probably wasn't watching the news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we grew up, you know, somebody like myself and Jared, we grew up knowing or raised our family hearing about BTK and mm-hmm. Wichita yes. News all the time. And uh, so when you hear it on breaking national news, it was like, wow. Yeah, definitely catches your attention. Right. And it's interesting when you do meet people. And they do know about it. You know what I'm saying? That some of them know and some of them don't. If they had a tie, I mean, it's like, Oh, you know what I was hearing whenever that happened, and then they can mm-hmm. they trace it back just like anything else. Yeah, and you. I'm, I've met some interesting people. Just like oh, I was in Wichita at that time, and I was doing this, and I was scared or you know, whatever. It was. <laughs> yeah, I'm like yeah, I would be too. But I was busy riding a bicycle. Yeah, I, like I was, I was having yeah. a good time. <laughs> One thing that that I found interesting is she talks about a Las Vegas trip that they went to. Uh, or went on, and it was in 86 or something, and they stayed at the Circus Circus. My parents took me there. Once. I'm like, what year did they take me? Were we there at the same time? Start adding it up. Yes. It's a weird guy at the buffet. Right. <laughs> so one of my notes that I had in here was, because uh, I, had, I hadn't read far enough yet for my own question to be answered, <laughs> but I, I had like asked Don. But um, when the FBI went to go talk to Carrie the first time, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Marine Hedge, um, he didn't know how they had gotten the DNA. Oh. Because when they arrested him, they were like, we have DNA. Like, we know it's you. And so he was like, how did he, how did they get that? And um, in his correspondence with Catherine here, um, he was wondering if it was Carrie. It was. Yeah. It was, right? Yeah, it was, yes. Yeah, further down here, it was it was Carrie that that given them her DNA. Well, two things happened. You're going to find this very interesting. So the day that um, the FBI 
was there. They said, we need your DNA. And so she gave him a swab. Uh, they, he didn't have a kit. He didn't seem like he was prepared for any of that stuff. So she just took a cotton sw- or the Q-tip, Q-tip thing <laughs> and swabbed her mouth and put it in a Ziploc bag. But what happened is she had actually gone to the health clinic at Wichita the, Clinic. Yes, at, at the university, right? Well, there, there was a Wichita Clinic is a major clinic there in Wichita where a lot mm-hmm. of doctors and people went there for their, you know, family, daily, yearly checkups, whatever it was. Yeah. And, and that's where they went back and got her. She'd had a well woman checkup and they, they got the DNA from that. Yeah. Without her permission. Um, yeah. So she, you know, had given it to them, but I think they had already gotten her mm-hmm. DNA before that. They just use it as a like a cross reference, I guess, like probably. a double, you know, just this double check well, here to make sure. One of those would probably have been thrown out of court, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You violated someone's medical privacy and then <laughs> used it for that. So that probably would have been thrown out if he had had a lawyer that would have actually tried to get him out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is another fascinating thing is, I mean, I know that these lawyers. They're just doing their job. Yes, they need to protect (laughs) us for wrongful, you know, convictions Uh and stuff. But you think about these defense attorneys sometime, and I just can't even imagine what they have to go Mm -mm. through. What made you guys decide to do, you know, this extensive on the BTK just from bringing it up and going, oh, there you go. And yeah, you know, yeah pretty much. Another murder. Yeah, so we thought it'd be fascinating to talk to you guys and, you know, have somebody who is a little bit closer to the situation. Because usually Denise and I read different books mm-hmm. and uh, then we tell each other really about the books and we talk about it and uh, it's always fascinating. And what's interesting is our the books we end up reading have a lot of connections and we mm-hmm. don't talk about the yeah, books we just beforehand. pick separately. And, um, and we usually don't pick like the same killer or anything like that Mm-mm. like we'll just pick different books and but it's like all child killers or yeah yeah we'll start talking about it and we're just like uh <laughs> so my guy did kind of the same thing <laughs> yeah it's very <laughs> weird but um i don't know why we enjoy talking about this but it's it's fascinating and i guess i'm interested in like the the mystery behind it mm-hmm. you know a little bit um well, it's entertaining. I mean, I, I I listen to podcasts, and that's usually, yeah. You know, that's always the it's stuff you don't know about. Yes, you know? mm-hmm. if you don't live it, yeah, that's then it's very, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> very true. It's like how can people do these things, you know? And it's people in your backyard sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah. it. Yeah, and and the whole BTK thing is just, and he was my Cub Scout leader, mm-hmm. you yes. know. And so you, you, I go, but I would have never known it. I mean, I remember being. And, of course, friends are always like, you're so weird, Jared. But I remember being in a basement, having, you know, one guy named George and another man there teaching us the knots. Uh-huh. And I remember the square knot. I mean, I vividly remember a guy telling me, left over right, right over left, and, and pull tight. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that was him. You yeah. Know? I mean, that's 
Yeah. He he really did like the square knot. <laughs> he does talk about that. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I did not. Know. He, he talks a little bit about some of his favorite knots. <laughs> like, I didn't know that. I was like, wow. all right. I bet that's the one I remember. I, I don't remember the bowling or whatever the other knots are, but I remember that knot. And yeah. He talks about the, the, the square. He talks creepy. about the clover knot. Clove hitch. Clove hitch. Clove hitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was just like, I was like, all right. I'm just gonna skim, I'm just gonna skim over this part. <laughs> But it's fascinating that he, it was so important to him to put in the book. Yes, to well, write about let it. Let me let me tell you about some knots. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, that's okay. why I think he still has. Yes, <laughs> I think he has one more thing that there's just going to be like, he's, all right, guys, I didn't tell you about this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been here a long time, and I've mm-hmm. been thinking about this, and here you go. Yeah, and I just, uh, I don't think there's a way that how weird he was, and that he kept everything so secret that this was like. Here you go. Here's everything. Mm-hmm. Well, he's reliving it. And I kind of think that there was the period before family. There was the one instance during family. And then there was the after. Mm-hmm. And I think that Mrs. Hedge was the one that was during. And they found out about her because of the daughter. Mm-hmm. So there may be others during that time. That yeah yeah because yeah, be. he didn't he didn't really say oh you didn't know about this person right because once they had DNA they connected him to things oh well that's true too with and the so, DNA yeah and so he was basically like yep you're right about that yep. and you're right about this one if I remember right they connected him with eight of them and, and it was after the fact they found two others and mm-hmm. one of them was the hedge and then mm-hmm. there was one I can't think of her name but it was they threw her body out out in a culvert somewhere. Um, and then so they hadn't originally caught it because it was so outside of his normal operation that mm-hmm. he'd actually removed the body from the home and took it somewhere else to hide the body. It was around the yeah. church. Okay. Like he, he took it to, he took the bodies to the church and mm. out there in the wooded area, he would dump their bodies. I think it was a Marine Hedge and Vicki Wurgle. Because it was in September 16th of 1986 is when he killed Vicky. And I think that's, that he had dumped her body. Okay. And she was discovered. I, I don't remember by who, but they found her out there. Right. Wow. And he had left like some kind of weird hand-painted mask next to her body. Oh, and Yeah. Okay. It, was, it was weird. It was weird, but it didn't really fit the M.O., and so they hadn't connected that to him until later. He would hide things at the church, too. Like, that was one of his hidey holes. Mm. So it talks about the, um, the scout one. It said, Dad left the scouts, drove to a bowling alley, sloshed some liquor in his mouth, pretended he was drunk, and took a cab to our neighborhood. He carried with him a bowling bag as a hit kit. Mm-hmm. Which I heard he had a couple different hit kits. That's what he called his his stuff, his supplies. He walked through the park behind his grand or behind her grandparents' house, cut Mrs. Hedge's phone line, and broke into her home. Um, that was the one with the the floor plan that was identical, which is different than what yours is saying. Because you said that he was actually there and had a conversation with somebody else in her house, and he left. Was that the no, same? that was the no, boyfriend. No, no. Yeah, she had a boyfriend. Yeah, Marine came home with her boyfriend, so he waited outside. 
Right. He, he waited somewhere, yeah. Yeah, no, I thought they were like in when you were saying it for some reason in my head. No, he I'm waited not, like an in hour a or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, there in having conversation with both of them and waited in. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. No. Anyway, he was there for like an hour. And oh, yeah. Then it says he waited in the closet for her to come home yeah. and no, then I strangled just said closet. her. I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, he was, he was in the closet. He was there. Like, because he'd already broken into her house and was waiting for her to come home. And. He he knew her routine, and so he was. One of the things that comes up kind of often here is that he never expects there to be anybody else. Like for the Otero family, he didn't expect Mr. Otero to be there. For Catherine Bride, he didn't expect Kevin to be there, and a lot of this, I'm just like, okay, maybe the first time, but after that, I was. An unlucky or not very smart stalker. That's that. It's the the second one, I would think. Because I'm just like, you know, you're sitting here talking about how smart you are, and yet you cannot adapt to there being someone else there. It didn't even cross your mind that maybe they would have friends or family or... (laughs) And I'm just like, okay. Mm -hmm. And what have they ever said about his mental i mean of course he's you know we would all say he's crazy but what have they said you know what does she say in her book about his mental capacities and um was he ever diagnosed with anything well he was never officially diagnosed as a psychopath um he she's she has sent some material for him to kind of self-diagnose like you know answer these questions type thing but she doesn't think he's answering them honestly, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't think he's answering them honestly. Um, she, just from what he has done and said through past interviews and so on, she thinks that he has um, a fantasy prone personality, which there's this whole section on here about what all that means. Um, and a lot of people can have a fantasy prone personality where they just kind of want to live in their little fantasy world. Um, his goes a little darker than that. And once he's got time and he's bored, like he'll actually make some of those fantasies happen. Well, mm-hmm. most people are like, I got to do real life things. I got to get it together. And <laughs> yeah. Move on. And yeah. Um, but one of his defense attorneys, they don't know which one, but wrote on one of the like on some of their notes this whole thing about how they were pretty sure he would, had some kind of psychotic uh, personality features, but they never explored that. So he never really had any kind of like official diagnosis of anything. Well, and that was go ahead. Maybe they didn't want to because they didn't want him to be able to plead one way. Well, that way, and he pled not guilty to begin with. Um, I think just to give the defense a little bit more time, but he ended up pleading guilty. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't have to dig any of that stuff up. Yeah. But if they could, if he said, yeah, I'm guilty and then diagnose him as being insane, would he just be in a mental hospital instead of a a rectangle? Maybe. Isn't that scary to think about? (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I think if they had had the death penalty, then I think that would have come up. Like, you know, he's guilty, let's death row. Then I think his defense attorneys would have been like, okay, we need to figure out a way for them not to kill him. Mm -hmm. 
but because there was no death penalty, I think they're like, well, this is the best outcome. <laughs> Let's just yeah, 10 consecutive on. life sentences. Yeah. He's there for a while. Oh, yeah. yeah. 170 some years. Is that what you said? 175 years? Wow. And they're going to keep him in there until he serves 175 years of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how it is in Kansas. Is it like half that time no. that you're eligible for parole? <laughs> he, he, Either way, that's still. <laughs> he had it without parole. Oh, mm-hmm. oh right. Because he pleaded guilty. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a part of the, the deal. Can we talk, talk about the floppy disk now? Oh, yes. <laughs> For some reason, I was thinking we'd already talked about yeah. that, but we haven't, have we? Oh, the floppy disk. So I think one of the funniest things about this whole thing is when he's doing his whole correspondence with the police, mm-hmm. um, he had actually asked a friend of his that was a police officer if there was any way for them to trace email because he didn't really know much about it and his friend was like yeah you can totally trace email and so he was like okay let's not do that so he in one of his correspondence he asked the police if he sent them a floppy disk if there was any way that he could they could trace that Mm -hmm. and for them to put a ad in the personals letting him know one way or the other. And if they couldn't trace it for them to just say, you know, it's okay, Rex, you know? And so he waited and the police were like, it's okay, Rex, (laughs) (laughs) you send it. Sure, he won't fall for this. Right, right. Yeah, that was actually something that one of the police officers was like, I'm sure he's just messing with us. Uh Like, but, you know, what if he's not? So they put the ad in the paper. And sure enough, he sends a floppy disk to them with letters and maps and drawings and all that in there. And that's how they actually found him. Like, that's how they found him at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, because he put all this stuff at the computer at the church. And so he made this little floppy disk and then he sent it in. And how scary is that? I mean, how many times have you, like, lost a floppy disk or, you know, just left one sitting around or used it as a coaster or whatever? Right, yeah. <laughs> back I was like, in the day. You know, what if someone would have used that, picked it up and used it in something, and then it came all the way back to, yeah, yeah. it came with the Hewlett-Packard right. registered to you. It's like, <laughs> what? Wait, no. How scary is that? And so well, when you format a disk, if I, if I remember <laughs> it's your right. name it's all yeah. in there. Yeah. When they caught him, he, he actually said, you guys lied to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> really? Yeah, he thought that the police were going to be honest with him. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, and I'm like, really? <laughs> but one of the things, um, the police officer that he had asked about the email and things like that was actually the same police officer that looked over the floppy disk and found all the information. So he's the one that actually investigated that. And so I'm just like, oh, I wonder if he was like, wait a minute. I know this guy. Well, and it was so important to him that um, he asked several people because in here, uh, Carrie spoke, she says that she remembers um, that December when they were home at Christmas time. Uh, it says dad had asked him, an odd question, can floppy disks be traced like those folks on CSI do? <laughs> wow. And it says that her husband, not sure what he was asking 
and not wanting to go into technical details, brushed him off with a quick no, even though he knew that they could be traced. So it sounds like he probably checked with several different people mm. and got the same answer for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not finding that police officer's name. I think it was Landaware. Does that sound familiar? That was the um, the main investigator. This okay. one was a like a forensic tech guy. Oh, but because he was a dog catcher, like he communicated, he really wanted to be a cop, and <laughs> they weren't having it. <laughs> um, he applied, I think, like two or three different times, and they always rejected him. But they never told him why. And so Crazy. He, he, he thought it was his age. He thought he was too old. And I was just like, mm, I don't know. He probably didn't pass the psych eval, but yeah. <laughs> but okay. Um, when was he a, a dog catcher? I mean, I remember him saying that because we didn't like the dog catcher when we were well, kids. He, I don't know he, if he was, was the same age. He was the Park City compliance officer. So he's the one that would come and say, your grass is too tall. Your dog's barking too much. It was, yeah. so he did all of those things. That would be a horrible job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. No, wouldn't be fun. Yeah. Well. Nobody'd like you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like that's how he was caught. He sent them a floppy disk, and I was just. I. In the fact that he believed them. Yes, I think that's what gets me the most. Is that you asked them. And they said, no, that's untraceable. He's like, they're obviously telling me the truth. (laughs) And I'm like, you watch CSI. You know the cops lie. (laughs) (laughs) To get what they want. Yes. I'm just like, all right. So um, I just noticed here that it talked about uh, that there was a task force in 2004 that -hmm. they were trying to swab um, for DNA. And, and you guys weren't there in the Wichita mm. area, which it really is kind of interesting because so many people could have moved in and out of that area. Oh, right. what were they swapping? Like just individuals they were curious, like having them voluntarily do that or just like at the church trying to get DNA? I mean, I mean, how do they do that? Well, it said that they had samples from the crime scene. So in 2004, they asked over a thousand men in the Wichita area to take a DNA test. They nicknamed it a swabathon. Hmm. It was a very Maybe. general, like, you live in this area. We would like for you to come in and... Just to rule them out. Yeah. Or put you on file for any future things well, you right. might do. Yes. Yeah. But let's be realistic about that, though. The only people that would come in there when they knew they had nothing to hide. Nobody, Anybody that's been involved in a crime is going to let you take my DNA. Right. But that's, that's, also, true. that's but, also a good tactic, though. So I just asked 10 people... To do to give me their DNA just so I can rule you out, and nine of them said, "Yeah, sure." That tenth one didn't. Or so I'm going to highlight his name. <laughs> I mean, if he was gullible enough to think that they were going to tell him the truth, maybe he's like, "You know what? I'll What's DNA? Yeah, there's no way." That's... He did get concerned about DNA later on, like once he knew that that was a thing, because early on. It wasn't anything that was really like well known, and it wasn't until like the eighties that it could even be done. It just cost a lot of money, and so a lot of police departments didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the nineties that it was a little more accessible. Still not as definitive as it is now, but it was definitely a useful tool. 
And then by the 2000s, early 2000s, it was a, in a lot more use. And now everybody can do it with 23andMe.com, you know. Uh-huh. Just yeah. And now you get put into a database that the police can access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how Which they caught scary. the Golden State Killer. Well, you know, it maybe. They did it with the 23andMe or something they, similar, they Ancestry? It, or um, They did it with, oh gosh, I can't remember what it was. But basically, 23andMe and... Uh, Ancestry and all those things will send you a profile and this the site that they used is completely free. You just upload your profile to it and then it'll be like, these are your relatives. And so <laughs> so it's easier to, to find. Um, and so police have been using it to find relatives of killers. And so they're like, okay, so this person is the cousin of my offender. Well, now let's do a family tree. And so now there's forensic right. genealogists. Glad I didn't fill that out for 23andMe. <laughs> well, they Makes you think twice about it. Well, they, they've got you anyway because both your mother and I have done it. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they could easily do a family tree there. <laughs> Too late. I often wondered if Paula, his wife, like, I'm like, how did you miss all this? Because in in this book, she caught him doing weird autoerotic asphyxiation stuff at home and was just like, what are you doing? And, you know, he apologized the first time. The second time she was like, you know, talking divorce. So she went and got a self-help book and kind of figured out what that was. And so she was just like, well, you know... That's that's you. You're not making me do anything weird. So there was all that. But once all this became a lot more public, she recognized some of his misspellings. Like the BTK killer misspells the same words that Dennis misspells. And I'm just like, mm. and, you, and there was a composite sketch that looked like him. He's See, misspelling the same words. You yeah. can't come to find him doing weird things, and none of this connects. <laughs> See, I can understand. Carrie talks about the uh, composite sketch, and she, when she sees it for the first time, she's like, oh, yeah. I can see my dad in that. Uh, and there were some recordings that she heard online, mm-hmm. and she recognized his voice. So the mother being older through all this, when the composite sketch initially came out, she had to have seen that stuff on the news. Mm-hmm. You would think. I don't know. Yeah, she... But what if she just like... It no, can't be him. I, yeah, I can't. It I, can't be know, him. No yeah. Way. But then whenever you start adding all those pieces, like maybe the composite sketch, uh-huh. but then adding in the mm-hmm. the actions that you're catching him doing on, and, on his own. Yeah, and, and they're then, printing up these letters that he wrote, and you're like... That's the same handwriting. That's the same or, weird or, misspellings, you know? Because mm-hmm. that, that was one of the things, like, very common words that he would misspell. And I'm just like, <laughs> you want to tell me again how smart you are? <laughs> so what would be the reason right. why she wanted to ignore it? Just being embarrassed, scared? Well, after one of the times that she caught him doing his thing, um... She had talked briefly about divorcing, about leaving him. And ultimately, like, he told her that he wouldn't do it in the house anymore. And 
Um, ultimately, she, you know, didn't want to explain why they got a divorce. Didn't want people at church to know they were very prominent in their church, and so she just decided that if he didn't do it at home anymore, then you know, whatever. And maybe that was enough to overshadow, like, so she couldn't see the misspelling and couldn't see the like added up. Maybe that she was so worried about that. Well, see, and I was I was thinking that maybe he was um, like the verbal abuse, and like she was kind of afraid. Uh, that he would do something to her or the kids, but now I'm, I'm wondering if he was so apologetic because maybe he felt like he would be more exposed in what was going on. Because if they got divorced and had to sell the house, he's got all that stuff stashed under mm-hmm. the floorboards and in closets and all kinds of stuff, and things might start to come out. I don't know. That's really so he's just trying to make it right, just to prevent any of that Mm -hmm. maybe yeah i don't know yeah sometimes it'd be nice to be a fly on the wall (laughs) (laughs) did i mention there was a picture here i can't unsee (laughs) yes i'm gonna i'm gonna make you look at it (laughs) oh Oh, i'm gonna look at it (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have to look at it is there anything else you guys want to share no, this has been all very interesting. That you know, for so many years, it's I feel bad, but it's like you know, I was telling you, Dawn, that whenever you're meeting people in a group for the first time, or you know, like icebreakers, tell us something interesting about you. If you're the last person, and they're like, <laughs> I have three sisters, and you know, I enjoy fishing, and you get down to the end, I usually win the game. Yeah, you know, I, I usually win. And, you know, well, I had a Cub Scout leader, serial killer. We, we recently, about? in a gathering, in a, there's an icebreaker, they played the Two Truths and a Lie. Yes. And I said I was a scout leader with a serial killer. Was And, you know, they, no, that can't be true. <laughs> That's <laughs> a lie. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> <laughs> Got to win the game. That's right. It's what it's about, right? Uh I can never come up with anything on those. It's like something good that they may or may not know. So that one's a good one. <laughs> it, it was always the ones that, you know, I was in education for 20 years. So when you would do that stand up, if you have a tattoo, you'd see like a teacher go. <laughs> just sat back being like, she's a stand up. And then she was going to have to explain it. So she just yeah, sat back nope. down. <laughs> you yeah. could always see that one. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit more about you than I think. Yeah, they asked that question one time. Uh, when I was with a group of teachers, and I was surprised how many stood up. Mm-hmm. There were quite a few. So, the way my book ends, my note here uh-huh. is just I'm just doing this to raise awareness and help others through my experience. Because the way he ends his whole correspondence is hopefully when this book comes out, the key will be there to help others who study the criminal mind to better understand a dark mind. I think I rolled my eyes so hard that I hurt myself. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the end of his golden globe? That's yeah. right. I, was like, oh. wow. <laughs> I didn't read the epilogue. I'm just full disclosure here. I did not read the epilogue because the introduction was 20 pages long. And it was like, she could have told me all that in three paragraphs. <laughs> I was mm. like, why? Why? <laughs> she had to, he made a code for all their correspondence. So it was all like some weird code that she had to break. 
and he would send her clues like this is what this means um because he was worried that the guards would take the letters and sell them on ebay or Uh-oh. so so he came up with his own code uh-huh like she that had to crack. be broken. Well, he <laughs> right. sent her half of the code, and then he has a friend named, well, I don't know what her real name is, but they call her Donette. Okay. And so he sent her <clears throat> the other the other part of the code, and so then they had to like get together and try to piece it all together um a true testament to his intelligence is that he often forgot some of the things that he had said over here and said over here and so there was a lot of things that he repeated (laughs) yeah so anyway 20 pages of that (laughs) i'm like you could have just told me that he wrote your letters in code you had to break the code it was ridiculous thank you (laughs) So when I got to the epilogue, I was like, no thanks. Nope. No thanks. But these are books that are at the library. So if you guys want to check them out. Mine was an easy read. Um, but it def- definitely didn't have details in it. Yeah, well, I probably want to read this one. This yeah. one, <laughs> the, the one with that he, yeah, he, he had was a, involved with. He had a writing. lot of involvement in that, yeah. Uh, yeah. I watched the 2020 show on his daughter when she came oh, out. Uh-huh. On when you she didn't interviewed, see that? I, no, we I did. The, they interviewed her about the book, uh-huh. and I'm going, okay, I'm not buying some of yeah. this. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, one of the things that, like, after I saw that, and Don and I were talking, I was the thing that I always reference to that episode is she's sitting there and she's talking about her dad when the FBI came to talk to her, and then she's like, and then I was just really ticked off at my dad and i'm like yeah you were ticked off wow <laughs> okay sad or disgusted or angry, angry or but yeah it was just like she was just like i was just really ticked off at my dad and i'm like okay yeah <laughs> it's like, a weird thing that's weird <laughs> i can understand like being angry but yeah it's just like that one little bit where i'm like there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I was just like, mm. she grew up with a serial, serial yeah. killer. There's lots of things wrong. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was just like, that's on TV for everybody to see, girl. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. It was a very interesting episode, though. I'll have to watch it. Yeah. I'll find it. Somewhere. Especially after you read the book. Yes. They look an awful lot alike, too. Yeah, I, there's a picture of her in the back of the book that's more recent, I think. In the episode, she had kind of a messy ponytail and glasses. Uh-huh. She didn't seem very serious in the episode. That's mm. what I thought. I was like, yeah, if I- and She seemed, well, and to a degree, I kind of understand. Like, you're there on TV and you're talking about this. Like, I think a part of me would be like, I'm not going to cry. And just to not give anybody any satisfaction i'm gonna just say what i gotta say but it seemed like she was just kind of emotionless and it was a little weird like it was just a little distracting yeah Hmm. yeah she was selling a book yeah 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 which why not right you need Mm. to make some money off of that weirdo dad of yours (laughs) (laughs) 
See, he looks he here he looks kind of psycho and mad. And I think he kind of had like I don't want to say dual personalities, but kind he, of, you know. He definitely tried to present that. Yeah. Um throughout this entire book he talks about wearing the white hat and wearing the black hat. And so and wearing the right one at the right time. Yeah. Hmm. So. And there, there's several times in, in this book where he's just like, you know, how can he be all bad when he had a family and he loved his family? And I'm just like, but I don't know. You didn't really. He's got the same eyebrows. And that's why I was wondering what that. if they ever diagnosed him with anything. Not officially. Like, I think Catherine definitely has a couple of theories but she definitely doesn't come out and say this is what i think he has like Mm -hmm. she definitely presents a little bit about fantasy prone personalities and a little bit about psychopathy and so on but she never flat out says i think he has this with these characteristics so that's his mugshot Ooh, that's not even like that one no, he looks like he looks really bad. Mm-hmm. That's a horrible picture. Maybe this one they photoshopped a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> he looks troubled. Well, yeah. when they when they picked him up, he had a mustache. There's a mustache there. Yeah, and also when they picked him up, he had he was on his way home for lunch, and there it is. You can't unsee it. It burned into your memory forever. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> how did that picture get taken? Oh, I don't know how he took that's it, him. but he took it. Oh, yeah, that's him. So he would take uh, undergarments, slips, things like that from houses that he broke into from his victims, and that's what he would do with them. He would wear them while he did his self gratification bondage thing. And. Is that like in his garage or? In his basement, I think. In his basement? And the wife wouldn't know any of that? A lot of the time she wasn't home. Like she caught him a couple of times when he was doing it like upstairs in the house. Um, And she would come home unexpectedly. But. I'm surprised there's a basement in the house because none of those houses had basements. Yeah, there's a few of them. Well, maybe it was his shed. Because I know. Or when he was a teenager, he would go to the basement. Right. So maybe that's where I'm getting that confused. It, it, there, a few houses did happen, but mm-hmm. not very many. And um, he would also go to motels because he traveled a lot. So whenever he had to travel for work, um, that's what he would. That's what he would do in his motel. His cave monster drawing is a little disturbing. Yes. Looks like one of those pictures you should be able to turn upside down and see something else. Yes. (laughs) You know, like an old lady and a a young lady. I was thinking that about this one, too, with the, you know, the big forehead thing. Yeah, that's his (laughs) self-portrait. Yeah, he's he's a piece of work. Lots of maps and, like, schematic kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. it looks like. Yeah, his, uh, what he... His little fantasy silo, torture silo. Yeah, for torture victims? Oh yeah. Oh, gosh. That's why I think, like, in his jail cell, he has it, like, all on the wall. <laughs> he lays on his stack I don't know and how, looks at the how ceiling. how much they let like, him have of that. Like, I don't know if they 
they let him do any of that. Well, at one point they said that they would only give him um, four stamps and envelopes a month. So he couldn't write as much as like when he was in the first before the sentencing in the first prison or jail, Mm -hmm. um, he was able to write a lot more frequently. But then once he was um, put in prison, that they limited him to only four letters a month. So he had to pick and choose who Mm -hmm. he was going to write to. Um, So, yeah, he didn't have a lot of, Mm. of stuff. I can't even imagine thinking about being stuck in a cell with nothing mm-hmm. for that long. If you weren't crazy already, you would be. <laughs> Definitely. May have to check that book out. Yeah, you're going to have to check it out. <laughs> I'll take all my notes out. Yes. Leave one. <laughs> you know, for each time. <laughs> my notes are uh, colorful. <laughs> I think some of them just say "ew" <laughs> or "wow." <laughs> yes, and then there's language in there, all kinds of language. His or yours? Yes, Mine. Or like on my on my notes at some point, I'm like, "All right, <laughs> I can sum this up in three words." <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, this has been "Do We Like Murder." A production of uh, the Long Overdue podcast with uh, Brett Lasseter and or Lacer and Jared Lacer. Yep. Thank you so much for coming and, and visiting with us today. It's been it a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. good.